0: We have a, a morning sandcast today. Uh, beach volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mowrer, brought to you as always by Wilson. Which, if you're watching, you can check out Tri's hat and get on WilsonVolleyball.com, uh, maker of the best balls in the game. And uh, today we have uh, the honor of having uh, the legendary Randy Stoklos joining us. How are we doing, Randy?
1: I'm doing great. Wonderful, uh, outside of the pandemic. And uh, us not being able to do what we normally do, life's good. Life's good. Yeah.
0: What, uh, what have you been up to? It's been a while since I've seen you. You were working with, uh, with my wife, Delaney, and, and Katie Spieler for a while, teaching them how to jump serve. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen you in a good bit.
1: That was fun working with the girls. You know, um, for the most part, if there's somebody that comes up to me and asks me, you know, um, for a little bit of help in regards to their game, I'm more than willing to go in and jump right in. And I thought that was kind of fun with those two girls, um, you know, basically a year ago. And, you know, when I first approached them and I said, okay, well, we got to go and do something and to kind of speed up the game and make something happen here. And uh, all of a sudden Delaney says, I've never jump served in my life. <laughs> I said, well, we got to start somewhere. And so, they proceeded to do that and they actually became very effective with it. And it was, it was really fun to see, but, uh, no, um, in the last year, Neil say this whole season, my CBVA youth events basically stopped. It was very, uh, it was, a uh, it was a bummer because Neils say the, the youth, I don't think are really in that same predicament, uh, uh, uh you know, being, you know, the, the ages that they are, um, and I think that ultimately, it's uh, it was uh, kind of a, just a big bummer for me and uh, all of the CBVA and all of the the tournament directors. And I run Pacific Palisades.
0: Yeah. So you you work with the CBVA, like you run the tournaments out in that way.
1: Yeah, in Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica area. Yeah. Okay. I've been doing it for about ten years. Yeah. Okay. So.
2: I, remember, uh, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, you, you and Sinjin had your camps going around the country, and you came to Hawaii, and I, I jumped in on one of those. And uh, I think Sinjin wasn't there. You were the only one that showed up, so, you know. Yeah. Sinjin owes me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> try. try. You know, I'm glad that we got to meet back then. Um, yeah. Needless to say, Hawaii has been a very special place for me um, in the past. I think I won the tournament there eight times. Uh, just Just big fun, you know, staying at the Hilton Hawaiian Village, uh, bringing a surfboard over, going and surfing after, um, and then ultimately, uh, you know, down at the Outrigger, having poo-poos and cocktails. Uh, There wasn't anything better, but you know how that is.
2: (laughs) I'm looking forward to uh, getting back there, actually, next week. I'm headed back. Quarantine or not, I'm coming. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been actually back
1: uh, about three times in the last three months, uh, staying with a friends over in Lonnie Kai. Oh, so uh, been able to get in the water there and exercise a little bit. But it's been 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 uh, you know, I was gonna go this week, and uh, I had a couple more things to do, but maybe next week we can uh, hook it up over there.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I I'm stuck. So I haven't been back since January. Yeah. Have Sorry, you, uh, I got
1: you guys are still there yep still there sorry where am i going can you guys still see me
0: no you uh the we can hear you but we can't okay. see you
1: yeah <laughs> so okay so how am i coming back to you guys
2: there should be a video button
1: there there it is there's hey, something now hey back. i'm back <laughs> You know that's the problem with using a cell phone all of a sudden you got all these messages coming to you and it yeah, starts right. early here so <laughs>
2: for sure okay, um, have you just been, uh you know you know you're not running your c v a s right now have you just kind of been trying to stay in shape or what's kind of the well daily you know
1: you know to be honest with you and you're uh, kind of an interesting person to ask me that question because i I kind of got an autoimmune uh disease. In February, and um, needless to say, I woke up one morning and my shoulders and my hips were just as sore as I could be, and it wasn't from me doing anything outside of the norm. Um, and all of a sudden, I was diagnosed with this uh, with this um, kind of disease that I've been on a steroid for the last since uh, about February, and I'm going to be off of it on my birthday in December 13th. But I've gained a lot of weight. You know, and then Neil's to say, I've been trying to exercise and 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 literally, uh, you know, try to, you know, come o- overcome it. And it's a very odd one, as you know, because you really yeah. don't know exactly what, where it happens and, you know, where it starts and what you're doing and diet, everything else. So,
2: yeah, right. well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, it's crazy how these things pop up just.
1: I woke up try I woke up one morning and I felt like a 90 year old man. I could barely move and I was like really worried about what was going on and Nils to say um, went to the doctors and they said I I had this autoimmune and that can be in a, just a number of different things that can be involved with that as you know. So yeah but uh, i'm feeling better and neil's to say uh, the, the steroids will make you feel better but neil's to say i've gained like 30 pounds 40 pounds in the, in the meantime and um, but i've been working really hard and i want to get back until uh, you know in december back into you know better weight and everything else so
0: Man, do you, uh, do you still get out there and play any? I know right now, maybe with autoimmune disease, you're probably cutting back a little, but I didn't know if, because uh, every now and then I saw Hav out there on Saturday. He's still playing fours and talking trash.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a little jealous that those guys, Hovland and Dodd, are out there playing. You know, I my last game were in during the Olympic Games, that exhibition down in Rio that I played a six-man tournament. That was the last time I played. And to be honest with you, I really don't miss it. you know and I I just there's something about going down to the beach and you know competing but you have to do it and you got to do it in a consistent way to at least you know keep your mind straight and I don't do that you know the the one thing I'm doing now is I'm I'm bicycling I've been diving for quite a long time free diving you know for the the fish out in front and, and when I get to the islands all over the places but um No, the volleyball, you know, after doing it 21 years, you know, straight from 16 years of age to 37, pretty much uh, I did what I did. And I, you know, it's, I I don't, I'm not looking back.
2: (laughs) I feel like I always wonder whether I'm going to play a bunch when I retire. And to be honest, like, I think I'm just going to go surf and like maybe play some basketball and like do other stuff. For some reason, it's, it's not like my first on my list to go back and I feel like I'll get too intense, you know, and I'll be like, I don't like playing because I'm not as good as I was kind of thing. Whereas some people can just go out and just play for their whole lives and just do it. Yeah. It's, you
1: know, I think that that's the difference really truly becoming a professional um, when you're making a living at it and, You know, every one of your days really count uh, about how you're going to perform and and how you are. And you have to keep up such a high pace um, to be able to compete with the rest of the world because the rest of the world is just doing that. Um, And that's really why I kind of wanted to get out. I didn't have a summer to myself. I was like, you know, when the South swells would come up, all of a sudden I'd be looking at everybody out in the water. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. I got to play. I got to play. I got to practice. But um needless to say I've gotten my share in that and that's why I kinda went in that direction. It was uh I, I, I retired when I was thirty-seven years old and I had two kids and uh Shay and Shane. And I've been kind of dealing with them and, and just being dad and you know, and then I have my girlfriend of twenty years, Susie Rotman, uh her three kids. So five kids running around watching them all play volleyball and doing a bunch of stuff. That's really kind of what I've been doing. And now, uh, ultimately right when I got out of the the sport in 97, there was a couple years that went by and I figured, okay, I better jump in and do something more. I started beach volleyball camps with Sinjin Smith and Sinjin and I did that for 13 years. I did it for 13 years. And then, um, and we had a bunch of those locations, even in Hawaii coming over there and then meeting you, which I don't, recall but again you know my 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 mind's going because we were running through thousands and thousands of kids that summer and and uh you know being a non and doing it really for free um yeah. you know I, I I I felt like it was time to, to give back and I did that for a lengthy time and then after that it's been the CBVA tournaments for me and that's my been my connection with beach volleyball you know outside of wanting to coach uh you know the top players in the world you know,
0: when you uh I mean, when you look back on it, because when you started playing beach volleyball wasn't really a professional endeavor that you could do. You know, when when you started playing, it really wasn't there wasn't all that much money. And and from what I understand, your your dad was not a huge fan of you playing beach volleyball all that much. I mean, how did you get into it and sort of break that mold? Because And because your dad kind of wait, I think you're muted or I couldn't hear you. Uh no, uh, still so Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, um, um uh, t- well. Yeah. I had a tough upbringing in regards to uh my father's wishes and wants and desires. Um. He came to this country with twenty dollars in a suitcase, and um. You know, he didn't ever imagine me playing beach volleyball. And what are you doing? And you're a beach bum and everything else. And you know it was almost up into the point when I was a senior in high school, when I was offered uh, a number of different uh, um, uh, opportunities to a bunch of different colleges that he said, okay, you can use that as a stepping stone. But no, I got pulled out of practices in high school uh, to go down and work in the family business, which was a loudspeaker business. And I did that sweeping a 20,000 square foot building, uh, you know, it was funny even doing that I remember my father so vividly going you're not doing it right it's one two three push and <laughs> you know and so Neil say he was he was a um he was an interesting guy he literally was very successful very very smart and brilliant man but um uh, you know he just didn't have the 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 thoughts of me being, you know, him coming to America and all of a sudden raising a kid to play beach volleyball, what are you doing? So, but um, those things all change. I think ultimately because he put me in a situation of um, not being able to do other sports, it really kind of focused me into the one. And I kind of, you know, say thanks for that because ultimately, you know, when you grind on one thing and you, you find a love, Which I found very quickly. um, It it was easy to, you know, get better and consistently get better because you're doing it over and over again. And, uh, but, you know, overall, um, started at 16, really playing my first opens, you know. Um, I won my first tournament, the Manhattan Open, at at 20. Um, Yeah, with Jim Mingus. And, uh, you know, Neil Sase played. I don't know. I, I, I played in something like 209 finals I was in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's pretty crazy when I kind of think about it 209. So, and I won 123 of those. So, you know, there was 86 of them <laughs> that I didn't win, you know, and just imagine <laughs> being in the finals and losing 86 times, you know, that's uh. You know, I don't know it. It I I remember most of my losses and not my wins, but um, you know, again, I played overall three hundred and sixty nine opens in my life. You
2: Jeez. know, and
1: that was almost playing every weekend, whether I was hurt or anything else. I continued to you know play, and uh, you know, so that was kind of a little bit of it.
2: Would you say yeah. that the I guess you kind of had a pressure on, on yourself at a young age. Cause your dad or your family probably wouldn't have been okay with you playing unless you were winning. Like you probably won, came home with a check and said, see, like I, I can play again next week. So I'm making money. <laughs> but if you had been losing, your career probably would have got cut short. It seems like, you think that's the case. Do you think that was well, kind uh, of, a yeah, big well, job? no, absolutely. For sure. For sure. that. um,
1: You know, remember, when I was coming up, I was playing with, you know, adults. And even Jimmy Mingus, uh, when I got the opportunity to play with him, um, it was – sorry, there's somebody beeping through again. Excuse me. Um, You know, he was a good, I think, eight, nine years older than me, you know. And so, you know, I kind of got into a situation where, you know, I had to learn the sport pretty quickly and and you know um at that high level and i remember playing like literally one of my first tournaments i played in a novice one of my 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 first tournament a novice tournament with a partner from high school and i can remember we came through the losers bracket we were at ninth place and we had this team like 14 to 6 okay and uh Neil's to say, we, we folded our tent and we ended up losing that thing, 16, 14. And, I, it, and it sent me home crying. And I just never wanted to feel that way ever again. And um, number one, I never played in another novice because, you know, when you played in a novice, being the age I was, I think I was 15, and I'm playing against 35-year-old guys, you know, they were just they, – they were awfully good. And, and Neil's to say they had a lot of time under their belt – in regards to being better than I was at that time. But um, that was one of my first experiences. Um, I can remember winning an A tournament with Pat Powers uh, at Marine Street um, against B. Lee and Bob Peruca. And that gave me my my double A in when I was like 16 And then I think I got my triple A when I was 18 placing in an open with Marco Ortega, uh, up in Santa Barbara, we took a fourth place and, uh, that's where I got my triple A. Um, but I, back, back in those days, there was, God, there was one time that was just, just really, I I can, I can think about it and really recall that it was really something special. All of a sudden we got word down at Hermosa beach at the, Hermosa open that Karch Kirai and Marco Ortega were in the finals of the Hermosa beach open. And so Mark Barber, a good friend of mine, which passed uh, this, this last, uh, about four months ago, uh, he literally brought us down to the tournament. I can remember pulling up into the tournament and all of a sudden, or at near the poop deck at Hermosa beach. And in an amazement, amazement I remember there was no cell phones back then you know there was no form of communication we just heard like there was some rumor that there was we came down and then there is Karch Karai at 16 years of age or 17 years of age basically my same age and I'm looking at him going wow well if he can do that I, I certainly want to try to do that and so he was always um a little bit ahead of me because he played, he started the game a little bit earlier, well, a lot earlier at six years of age. I kind of started when I was 14. So um, that was very, that was inspirational, you know, uh, really coming down and seeing that. And then, needless to say, I got to play with Marco Ortega and, um, you know, placing that open. And then, you know, the rest of it goes on and on. So...
0: Man, so you got your AAA A at 18 and won the Manhattan Beach Open at 20. That yeah. is that's a quick improvement. Was the Manhattan Open, that was 81 when you won with Jim Menges. Yeah. Was it yeah. as big of an event as it is now?
1: Um, well, let me see if I can pull up uh, the picture of it. Um I'm going to go, you can see it in the background. Yeah,
0: uh, some epic photos back. Yeah.
1: There. I got some good ones here, but <laughs> let's see here. Let me just go through that. That's from Rio. That's Wilt, myself and Sinjin. Yeah. And there's Ron Von Hagen and Ron Lang. Yeah. Maybe I didn't even have the picture of the Manhattan. Oh, there's a good Kong block. Um, <laughs> any, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, no, it, it, you know, I, to be honest with you, I never even saw the Manhattan Open. So I didn't even know what I was really getting into. And, and um, you know, when I went down there uh, and, and the ironic thing about it was, is that Jim Mingus and myself played the week before. And I think we took like a seventh place at Laguna Beach, which didn't fare well all that much for myself being a, a young buck and trying to play with one of the best of all time. Um, but we decided to play again and uh, thank God we did because uh, we ended up winning that following week. And um, you know, again, a big one to win.
0: Yeah. No, and, and not bad for your first win either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. There, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of great
1: things I, I come comes out of the tournament from Manhattan Beach and there's a lot of negatives too. You know um, I was in the finals of that tournament 11 times. I only won four times. Jeez. you know um and you know it'll say back in the day hovland and dodd very dominant team in the early 80s um 82 83 '84, 80, '85. those guys were a handful tim hovland was as, as le- athletic as any volleyball player going and he put a lot of pressure on Cinchin. Cinchin was getting served quite a bit and um had difficulty uh, siding out um you know and then then we finally got him i think it was in in 1986 after losing to him like four times we finally beat them on their home turf um but another positive thing that i look at out of the tournament is is that uh, i think i'm only one of two players to win the tournament on both sides and the other person is ron von hagen that i look up to to even to this day um Doing something like that, winning the tournament on both sides—the right side and the left side—very um, special for me.
0: It's pretty impressive. You got to win one as a blocker and a defender now too. I'd cover yeah. everything. <laughs>
1: I I always wanted to be a defender, but I, I just would just cringe to send Sinjin up to block. <laughs> You're too good at blocking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but. when I know that you and uh, you and Sinjin, kind of how you guys formed your partnership is always uh, such a fascinating story to me. Cause you guys kind of split, right? You played like kind of half the season with Sinjin, but then when Karch would come back, Sinjin would go back. Uh, and play well, with I
1: think, I think, I think he was a little misleading. I saw that in the interview. I don't think he was all that accurate with it. So ultimately what happened is Sinjin and, and Karch were playing together and they had played, I think in one, like 21 tournament, something like, something like that. And it was even prior to me even playing the Opens, and that was like 78, 79, 80, that those guys were doing that. I think that they were competing on the, on the national team, and then they would go out and try to play. But it, it all came down to where all of a sudden we, we were playing in 82, um, and then Sinchens came to me and says, I'm going to play with Karch at Hermosa. And I said, okay. All right. So he ended up playing with uh, Karch. And I think it was a very selfish move back then because it was all about the points. And there was money and there was like some prize at the end where he wanted to be the number one guy. Right. So he ends up playing with Karch. He ends up taking a fifth place. And uh, um, I think that I played with John Hanley and we played each other in that tournament. And I had actually one ball on Karch, a cut shot that Karch put right into my hands for game. And I ended up shanking that ball, and and we ended up not scoring on that one play. And then Neil said the match turned around. But ironically, uh, John Stevenson and John Hanley end up winning that tournament. Okay. And so it wasn't that. So ultimately, then I came back to him and I said, listen, Singer, if you ever do that to me again, I'll never play with you again. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I have a twin sister. I was brought into this world with a twin sister and I've always been about team. And that was the reason why I kind of stayed with Sinjin, you know, for as long as I did, we played together 11 years. So ultimately in that whole story with that, that, that's what went down. He said, okay, we're going to commit. So we're playing. And I think it's maybe the following the, the following year in 1983, um, Karch calls me and he says, uh, do you want to play? And uh, well, well, I kind of go, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and um, so I said, OK, we're on. And then I, I called up Sinjin. I said, Sinjin, I'm going to go and play with Karch. And he ultimately said, you remember what you said to me? you remember what you said to me? You said you would never play with me ever again. Da, 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 da. Well, that I'm going to give that back to you. So all of a sudden I went, oops. Um, okay. Okay. All right. So I end up calling Karch back and I said, listen, Karch, I can't, I gotta, I gotta stick with Sinjin and, 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 you know, work this out and whatever else. So, um, in, in, in the positive note with it all, um, you know, we're the most successful team of all time. And um, it's very difficult to, you know, play in all those tournaments and and win as many as we did um, being a team and not switching around and not being fresh with another player, you know, when you're going out and trying to compete each and every weekend. Um, But, you know, that's what I recall in regards to that little controversy back in, in that little area back which forced us to play together, yeah. know, which was the good thing, because ultimately the the American public kind of grabbed the hold of us. And it wasn't like a different name was popping up each and every week. We were standard names. We were, um, you know, almost to the point where we were household names, you know, and that's where the sport all of a sudden became um, uh, something, and it really took off with prize yeah. money and everything else.
0: Did you like- sing go ahead, try.
2: <laughs> well, i was gonna say i feel like the value of of keeping a partnership together is kind of underestimated like people tend to get uh sidetracked and and want to chase the golden apple right as the saying goes where you know uh a good partner shows up you had two tur- bad tournaments and then you're like oh this player's playing great this is my easy in it's kind of like taking the easy way but but sticking together for long periods of time, I think, over time, it gets you more victories, gets you more uh, – obviously, you're just going to play better as a team. It tends to well, work better.
1: <laughs> yeah, try. you know the one thing that I really truly recognize is that uh, there was this big old target on our back. Right. And, uh, you know, when you know we were called up at any tournament, you see all the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people running to that court just to get an eye's view, uh, or get a good seat to go and watch us play. Um, you know, you had to kind of come with your game each and every time. It didn't matter if it was the first game of the day or anything else. So, for, So for what I'm trying to say is, is that like, for example, if I switch partners and I was playing with somebody new, uh it's a little deflected you know it's there's a change in that way where the pressure is not as mounted as it the greatest team of all time the team that's won all these tournaments um so by me doing that along with cingen i think that you know there there was a lot of positive and but there was a little bit of some negative too because you know we started winning at such a clip that um no nah, i'm not going to say the sport got boring but um you know there was a number of years where everybody was like going oh okay espn okay those guys oh not those guys again not those guys again <laughs> yeah. but um you know um i wouldn't trade it for anything you know we won 115 opens together um i got to put down a couple notes karch and kent uh 175 opens together you know uh Neil say they didn't play as long as as us, but, you know, I can't, you know, put that in kind of any context because it is what it is. You're, you're playing and you play for those periods of time. Uh, even Phil and Todd, um, they won 65 tournaments together. Hoblin and Dodd won 53 together, only 53. Now you can imagine that we were we're basically double the amount of tournaments than those guys. And, uh, but, again, you know, it, it was kind of like we were serving a purpose, and the purpose was to, uh, you know, uh, be as successful and to, to represent the sport. And then ultimately really doing that, I think, really, um, you know, made the sport a bigger sport. And, you said the bottom line was to get the sport in the Olympic Games, which we did, um, if we weren't the team that we were, um, I don't think that that possibly that the sport would have gotten there because of uh, we we were successful internationally I think you know Cinchin and I played together eleven international tournaments um, and we won ten of them at that <laughs> time and uh, yes that's the beginning of the world tour and everything but um, you know we 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 represented the sport in such a way that that uh the sport was eventually, you know, brought into the Olympic games. I got a picture, I think, sitting here. I'm going to go through it and try to go back at it. Um, yeah, it was right here. And this was an important one. I don't know if you can happen to see that in the background right there. This is from Amoreal, Spain. And uh, this was the, uh, the, tr- the trials for basically the Olympic games, uh, uh, the, the, the Olympics before. And um, we ended up winning that tournament. You can see the Brazilians took second and third. But that was a very controversial uh, tournament that, that we participated in. And we understood the value of it because there had to be a demonstration sport. It had to be go through a demonstration aspect of it. So we ended up playing that tournament. And, in, in, and I think that maybe even Sinjin had, had talked about this, that we had gotten fined from the AVP. I think it was um, $70,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a big number, $70,000. It was the biggest fine in the history of professional sports at that time.
2: Jeez. Truly, Jeez.
1: There, there, there wasn't anything bigger. I mean, you... that we got fined $70,000. So, Neil, say we got people involved and we ended up getting our money back. But the AVP with John Stevenson, I think, at the helm at the time – they just didn't understand the value of what we were doing. And, uh, and on the flip side of it, what was so ironic was it was during the Seal Beach Tournament, which Karch and Kent had an opportunity to win 13 in a row or, or actually surpass Jim Mingus and Greg Lee's uh, record of 13 in a row. And they ended up losing, I think, to Whitmarsh and uh, Dodd in that tournament. And uh that stopped that streak, so that was kind of funny that we didn't play in that <laughs> and that 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 ended up happening that way. But again, that was the opening of um you know getting the sport in the olympic games and and you know that was kind of really where what I was thinking and what I really wanted to have happen is I wanted to have the people around the world play the game of beach volleyball um, at that high level and to do what I did. And, and that is pretty, it's simple to say, but you know, the feeling of getting out on the beach, playing in front of thousands of people, winning a tournament, drinking a beer, jumping in the water. It's just, there's nothing better in the world. And, um, you know, now there's over, over 200 countries that, you know, uh, promote their, their teams and their countries to play the sport. Um, you know, I think that we were able to kind of take the world and just turn it just a little bit by this, uh, uh, you know, a number of great things happening to us.
0: You mentioned, I mean, that you and St. John, most successful beach partnership in history with 115 wins. Um, but I also think probably the most important team in the sports history, because like you said, I mean, you guys were going over, you skipped Seal Beach to go to Spain. Which was one of the events that helped to get it into the Olympics. But you guys were also pushing for, we mentioned it before, that picture you had of Ipanema, um, that orig- those original exhibitions uh, in Brazil. Um, tell me about that experience, just like pushing for it. Cause I know it wasn't a unanimous thing for you guys to push for the sport to go worldwide. I know that a lot of the guys in the AVP were like, why would we go overseas when we have the sport like on a stranglehold here in the US? Was, no, I was that
2: Loyola's happy about it?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he is, and he was one of the ones who
1: really benefited. Jose Loyola and, uh, and Ingenio yeah. um, that paved their way to kind of kind of break apart the monopoly that the FIVB had in regards to the players uh, playing elsewhere. And I wish that uh, that truly that the players could come and play in different in different parts of the world whenever they did wanted to. Um, for example, wouldn't it be sweet to see the Manhattan Open become Truly, one of the biggest tournaments in the world, where you're having the top players play there. I got to tell you, it's not an easy place to play, and um, you know it, it sure would be fun to go and see those players uh, play in in those locations. But you know, um, I don't know. You know, gosh, I got so many thoughts in my head right now with you know how everything went down. But you know, it was there was also another thing that basically what went down in the in the very beginning where Cynthia and I were playing, and this was kind of another kind of, I, you know, I can understand it, but I don't understand it. You know, Cynthia and I were very successful in 1986. I think we won something like 18 out of 24 events that year and all the other ones we took second and maybe one third. (laughs) Um, so then all of a sudden, Sinjin is in communication with uh, the Brazilian Federation and this uh, Fernando Var- Varna Ortsen, uh, that's a promoter of the sport down in Brazil. And he invites Sinjin to come down. And Sinjin doesn't pick me. He <laughs> picks Pat Powers. And Pat Powers, because he had just come off the uh, world championships indoors, <laughs> and I think was maybe voted the most volleyball player. I know that he was unstoppable uh, in that tournament and and ultimately wanted, turned out to be one of the best players indoors. Uh, he was asked to come down. So they had a, some name recognition along with uh, Montanero, uh, the Brazilian player, and uh, I can't remember right now the other partner. But, um, you know, they, they ended up playing a little bit of um, a demonstration to, be, to, to start off with, and it was very successful, and so the following year, uh, then Sinjin, you know, said, okay, um, I don't know why he wanted to change, but he, he then, you know, asked me to go down there, and we ended up winning the first world championships, and those world championships went on for, I played in, I think, six of them, and I won five of them, in uh in either copacabana and ipanema and uh, just crazy times with the crowds and the and and the amount of of players that were coming from around the world were pretty impressive even back then you know where we had some fields of you know the russians were coming out there uh, japanese teams were coming out and playing we had uh teams from spain australia uh um, Julian Prosser, uh, uh, Andrew Burden, I remember those guys, they almost, they almost beat us in one of the matches to send them into a semifinals and knock us out. But um, very difficult playing conditions, for the most part, playing down there in Brazil. Uh, I'll share one story with you um, that I felt like I was one of the best conditioned athletes in the world at that time. And I went down there to play the tournament and we ended up playing in the finals and uh, they started it at 12 o'clock noon and it's no joke about 135 degrees. Okay. And there is no wind and it's like a hundred percent humidity. And if you know anything about humidity, it's just, there's nothing you can do to get in shape for that. It's just, it's just, Sucks the life out of you, and uh, so and even in, in talking about sucks the life out of you, I can remember in that tournament, it went on for four that that match went on for four and a half hours. During the match, we would go to the corner of the arena. We wouldn't even sit down, we would try to get to the corner of the arena and try to try to get some wind, just a little breath of wind <laughs> to get to, to, to feel something, okay? So now we're at we're at fifteen fourteen for one of, the, one of the championships. I think it was in 88 or 87. I'm not sure. Again, we were playing Bernard Rosman, five-time Olympic, uh, Olympian, um, and his partner, which was this guy that could throw the ball around, and they actually allowed the open-hand tip at that time. It's fifteen fourteen, and they call a timeout. And I come stumbling basically into our little sitting area. And I sit down and I can just see water beating up out of my stomach. My eyeballs are, are spinning in my head. And I look at Sinjin and my heart is just like going, just like a cartoon. And I'm going, Sinjin, I don't care who wins or loses get me the hell out of here. (laughs) I mean, I was just done. I was cooked and Sinjin pauses there for a second and he goes and looks at me and he says, uh, Randy side out one more time. That guy feels the same way you do. And I kind of looking at him going, "Uh Oh, okay what a line and the with the with the referees whistling us out and i'm just come stumbling out there and we serve bernard the next ball and bernard goes up to jump and he goes into a full body lock and he can he pops the ball basically up and over the net and i'm still watching him down on the ground i'm looking at him down on the ground and we're playing against one guy for the finishing this whole thing off And uh, I don't even set the ball with my hands. I'm just going there to bump set to put the ball up somewhere. So Sinjin kind of shoot it against this one guy for the championship. And that was a very memorable moment for me um, because of the conditions and what my body went through. And I, you know, the only thing I can can compare it to is uh, the Hawaiian, uh, uh, um, try help me out, the Ironman. Oh, uh, with a lady that's walking sideways, you know, yeah. into the very end of it. Well, yeah. I was basically like that, and it was pretty incredible what my body went through. And I, you know, I'm kind of fair weathered. You know, I'm not, you know, really made. I'm my <laughs> my father was from from Poland, my my mother from Germany. You know, Scandinavian. What's a guy down there in Ipanema trying to go and play for that <laughs> long? I mean, it was unbelievable what I got, what I pulled off. But um, that was a big, big tournament. But I remember also, too, in 1989, okay, so I lost my father in 88 in September and uh, to an abdominal aneurysm. He died at, uh, at an early age of 67. And uh, I just worked out every single day. And I just vowed to my dad that I'm going to go on and win that tournament, the next tournament I play, I'm going to go and win it for him. And so we ended up winning the tournament, um, and I, I, I can all I can remember about that tournament was is that I went running out of the stadium, I went running down Ipanema for uh, several, several blocks to get away from everybody um, to have a moment and I and you can kind of see it on me you know I can I can I can recollect it so clearly that you know I kind of go through the same emotions and and that was that I was just you know crying like a baby and and I was there I was there for five ten minutes you know between these cards that were just and I was on the curb sitting down and, and then all of a sudden I look up and there must be 500 people around me just looking up going what's what's wrong what's wrong and so then I end up gathering myself and I end up walking back and back into the ceremony and what have you and in that that same tournament um we had basically now the the tournament's over we're in the stadium and we are now uh are wanting to have these security guards of these just these huge guys. And there's about 15 of them and they're circling their arms around and they're locked up. And we're in the middle of them. And so now they've opened up the little door on the on the on the side to get us out. And walking across from, from Copacabana to the uh to the to the Copacabana Palace. All of a sudden I'm walking there and I don't have any thongs on. And it, like I said, it was 135 degrees. The street was melting. And all of a sudden, my feet got so hot that I just bolted out of, out of the group. And I started to run. And I started to run. And I said I got across the way. And I got into the hotel. And the, the red coat guy opens the door for me as I'm kind of running in there. And all of a sudden, I look back. And there are thousands of people running after me. Okay. So now I get up to the second floor up to the lobby and I pull the, pull the, the, the drapes back and I look, I look out and they're just, they're storming, they're storming the whole hotel. They're up against the glass and everything. And now St. John's in there and they're there's they're basically trying to get a game plan for us to get out of there because now there's so many people and the owner of the hotel is going listen you can't go out the back door these people will be here all day you know what are we going to do so the next thing you know they got a plan where they got this humvee and they're backing up this humvee up the stairs okay (laughs) and and I'm, and I'm looking down, I'm looking at this whole scene and there's just uh, literally thousands of people down there and they're just, just, they're just, they want to see it. We are the Beatles. We, I mean, they're just, it's just crazy. Yeah. So they go to us and they say, we are going to guarantee your safety. I'm looking at 2000 people out there that want to want to just get a hold of me, you know, just to touch me. There wasn't anything negative, positive or negative, but it was just, they, they, you know, it was stardom. Remember, we had been on El Globo TV, um, you know, which is basically NBC, CBS, all of them put together. So when El Globo was on, the entire country watched. I mean, right. literally an entire country. So now I'm at this moment where they're they're protecting us. And they again, they lock arms and they make this like little area where we can walk through to get to this Humvee. And I, when they open up the glass door, and I, and I got a towel, I think, over my head, and it's just the screaming, the screaming. Okay, so we get into the Humvee, and I'm sitting in the Humvee, and this engine sits right next to me, and we can't even sit next to the windows because your people are just draped over the car, <laughs> and they're just they're, they're, And now the car starts to move, and people are just sliding off the sides of it. And you know, we would need to say, Oh, wow, there's a cute one. So we'd roll down the window and grab their little <laughs> – <laughs> well, you got to take advantage of that. Um, it, was, it, was, it was huge. It, it, you just you – just, you can't understand – you can't ever you know, put it into any kind of – you know, even for any volleyball player to this day, you know, we became the kings of Rio, which was a name that was given to Anton Senna, the race car driver, and that the Brazilians gave us that name away from their, you know, their people – um, was very, very special, and to this day, uh, kind of funny. During the 2016 games I was down there, which was actually my first Olympic Games that I had been uh, involved with uh, for beach volleyball or, or anything outside of, 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 of any of it, I was, uh, I was with a buddy, and we were walking down uh, Copacabana, and no joke, there's this guy, and he's uh, he's a bum, and he's, he's lying on the park bench, and he all of a sudden sits up, and he sees me, and he goes, the king of Rio. I, I mean, it was, this is no joke. I mean, I looked at my buddy, like, I'm looking around, like, okay, where's the camera? Somebody's setting me up with this all. It's, there's something going on but that's how popular we became. And so it was really fun going down there and, and talking to the locals and the people. And they would say, Oh my God, we watched, we watched you. My parents forced me to watch you and I can't believe I'm sitting next to you and talking to you and everything else. So huge impact, um, during the really the right time. And then they also say, then coming back, um, uh, and, it, and it kind of this all piggyback on number one, 84 Olympic games with the U.S. winning a gold medal um, in 88. Then it, then uh, I forget how we did. I think we took a bronze, but I'm not quite sure. No, we might have won in 88 too. Um, and so there was a lot of momentum. And then us playing from 82 and then being on as much as we were in, in America on all of the channels, you know, from – hot summer nights on ESPN, which was perfectly played because they would put on all the sporting would be over for the entire a day. And then ultimately at six o'clock, this would come on. It'd be the only thing on. And so the rest of America would watch these things. And then they'd replay that like two days ago, go it would come on, like on a Sunday, maybe on a Monday and even on a Wednesday. And so we were getting all of this exposure, which was just crazy. But, um,
0: yeah, there's,
1: there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot. There was a lot of great time.
0: Yeah, dude, that's so cool. Because that, like, story in Ipanema, like, that's when the sport was pretty much brand new over there. It's not like they had taken years and years to develop this fan base. It must have caught on fast in Brazil.
1: Well, you know, that again, that was during the time, 84. I think uh, you had the Brazilians had a very, very good team indoors. Um, and they were one of the better, better teams around the world. And, yeah, it was progressing as it was in America. Um, and I think that, you know, they were smart enough to kind of, uh, you know, promote their players and, and, and make them name brand people. Um, to this day, they're, they're heroes in a lot of the Brazilians' eyes, you know. And I think that that's kind of one thing that misses, we miss out to, uh, this day and age. But th- th- there's a lot that goes along with that you know, with getting that recognition, you, you got to be able to um, give back and you got to be able to uh, be there for the extra. Um, You just, I can't tell you the amount of time that Sinjin and I spent signing autographs promoting the sport around the world. I, I've signed probably 50,000 autographs in my life, you know, I don't know. It's crazy.
2: uh more on the people running the business side of things or obviously on the athletes as well but like with what you see nowadays with how our sport is now like obviously the players don't really have quite as much of an impact but I feel like it I don't a lot of the time just the opportunity is not there to do that Um we could do autograph sessions but if there's only 10 people there then it's not that impactful. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it is, but you know, you, you gotta understand those ten people talk to ten people and they talk right. to ten people, you know, and remember it wasn't like we had hundreds and hundreds of people, um, but if there was just only one, we would be there for them right. and spend that that extra time. Um and really kind of unique because not very many sports uh you were able to kind of rub shoulders with uh, your favorite player um, being right. a fan and get that close, um, especially in this day and age. But uh, I think that there's still opportunity for all the players to promote themselves and to kind of think about how to, uh, you know, uh, uh, just create a better brand for themselves. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways. It's, it's about going out of your weight and doing it. And it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. Totally.
2: Yeah. For yeah. sure. You, and you guys, I feel like, were heavily involved yourselves. And in it wasn't like, we're just going to wait for for the opportunities to come to us. You guys were heavily involved in the business side of things, from what I understand.
1: Well, you, you know, that was a very unique thing, too. Because, you know, when we were on TV, as much as we were, um, Neil's to say uh, sponsors wanted to come to us um, and be a part of that. And I had Ray-Ban, I had Fila, I had um, Coppertone, I had all types of sponsors. And you'll say with that comes a lot of, you know, great opportunity. And one of the great opportunities that I had was signing a contract with Fila that paid me 10% royalty of all the, the beach volleyball sales. And so ultimately I, um, in my first year they paid me $25,000 and then i got 10% of all sales so the first year they sold 2.5 million dollars so my next year yeah i was making $250,000 the next year it went to 3.5 i was making 350 the next year it went to 4.5 i was making 450 <laughs> the next year it went to no honestly it went to to $5.5 5 million and I was making 10%. And I, uh, even at that time, I don't think Air Jordan was making that type of percentage off <laughs> of uh, the product. And so ultimately, at that last year, uh, I made $650,000 just for, from Fila in regards to the sponsorship. Yeah,
2: that's crazy. I mean, that's kind of the equivalent of having $1.5 million nowadays, right? Like with inflation and all that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's certainly something I, you know, again, um, that was because, you know, I was, um, you know, marketable in that way. I was able to, you know, um, I don't know, touch a lot of people's lives and that, 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 that product was obviously being sold, but on a funny note with all, even in Hawaii, this was going on, they used to make the, you know, my headbands, my Fila headbands that I still have, you know, a bunch of them. And I'm, I'm sorry we that we weren't able to get together in person because I, I had some tank tops and some fila headbands for you guys.
2: Oh,
0: oh man, we'll have to, I'll
2: have to send it down so you can go put it in the background or something there. Oh, we'll put um, you, We'll put you, We'll get you on another episode after COVID.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, you know the funny thing was with those headbands is that the Japanese were coming over to Hawaii, to the Waikiki location. Okay and they were buying those things for belts <laughs> okay you know the headband, they there there they because they wanted the printing and they were using it as belts you know they were they had the size you know 23 <laughs> waist you know all those tiny japanese but it was kind of funny that they literally they were selling those things like hotcakes out of there and uh, um, there was a lot of really cool stuff that feela did for me but those <laughs> yeah. were uh, a little bit of the days so you know why I got into disclosing that was that um, you know obviously we knew what we were making and and people would ask you know kind of specifically you know how much money we're making from sponsorship and everything else. Well, we would always kind of even exaggerate it a little bit more because then those other players and other sponsors would go, "Wow, he's getting paid that." Okay, well we got to pay that. So it kind of. Escalated everybody's sponsorship in a kind of a kind of a funny way, um, because we were just trying to make the sport bigger, and that was kind of one way to uh, to kind of cheat it a little bit, but to kind of put a little bit more dollars into the players' pockets. And uh, you know, we were we we were on a big roll. I think you know, ultimately, when I got out of the sport in '97, the sport took a different direction with the AVP. Um, kind of after the Olympic games and uh, in 96, where we were going to parking lots and we were playing in locations that were fenced off and they were thinking about the more importance of making $30,000 in revenue of, of people coming into the gate rather than keeping it open and letting everybody in and, and having a sponsor, you know, you know, cover that as it was in the past. And so the the sport really changed, um, and it, it, I, I kind of I really didn't like what the direction. And that's kind of where I I said to myself, well, listen, I played pretty much every tournament that I could play. I think I won every tournament in any in all the locations um, at least once. So I kind of and then I, was, I had two kids, and I wanted to make a little change in my life. I just got married and.
0: Man, oh man, I hope you guys are, as my good friend Kelly Reeves would say, jazzed about this episode with Randy Stoklose as I am. And because it's, I mean, these stories are incredible. So I'm going to make this commercial break as brief as possible. Always appreciate you guys, the listeners, and absolutely appreciate our sponsors. They might not be paying us feel of money like they were dishing out to old Stoky, but uh, Wilson, there are guys. They've been with the show from day one. Use our discount code SANDCAST-20 to get the best balls in all of beach volleyball. They're just the best equipment in beach volleyball in general. And another another set of guys who have been with us from day one, Volleyball Mag. They give you the best news in beach volleyball from indoor to the beach, pros, amateur juniors, college, whatever. Go check them out, VolleyballMag.com. And if you can, donate something so Lee and Ed the, the kingpins over there at Volleyball Mag who were lucky enough um, to actually start the show with them, uh, they're one of the reasons that Sandcast even exists, uh, donate so they can continue to pay uh, for freelancers like me um, or other people. If you don't like my writing, they have a lot of other writers that they contract as well. To um, so go check them out, volleyballmag.com and check out Wilson for 20% off. Use our discount code, Sandcast-20. And now I will not waste any more time talking. And I will let you get back to Randy Close. You and St. John, you made kind of a difficult decision too because, I mean, you were getting fined for going overseas. Like you mentioned, you know, you, you were playing in all the locations. You won in all the locations. What was that decision-making process when you, you and St. John were like, listen, like we can go try to build this overseas, but it's not going to sit great. Uh, back in in the U.S. with the AVP, and it, and it obviously didn't, especially when, uh, you know, Sinjin was kind of pushed out as president in 90. Um, were you always set on expanding the game around the world, no, even if it cost you guys a, a fair chunk of change uh, in Seal Beach and, and probably put some uh, tension on a lot of relationships? Well, you know,
1: I can understand them – uh wanting us to play in on American soil in front of the, the our fans and uh in front of the sponsors and that's what what i think was the biggest impact that we were the the team that everybody recognized um and even Karch and Kent uh even at that time they were uh just early in their careers uh, as a partnership um, and I think ultimately, you know, by taking, it's, you know, it's like, you know, taking one of the top seeds out of any of these tennis tournaments. And as it's been happening, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of an asterisk, you know, put aside to it. But I think that that ultimately where, you know, I think John Stevenson felt like, you know, that we were, uh, um, you know, not doing things in his favor. Um, But ultimately, you know, remember we had already played 87 88 you know 89 international events um i think that even it expanded to uh playing uh outside of uh spain in 93 we were playing we played two events in australia uh in 90 and 91 which we ended up winning we ended up playing a tournament in um in france we ended up winning that tournament. Uh, so we had already been already in the kind of the game mode of, of, of creating the sport to be an international sport, you know. And I thought and we felt like that there was a, a bigger importance to that than there was really to come and play at our, our, our home fields because um, we had already done that, and it wasn't like we were taking away a whole lot from the AVP at that time. And ultimately, as history will show, that it wasn't anything that was taken away; was given. And we were just the people that really kind of went to war. Um, and remember, it still took us to win those tournaments. And It wasn't just like, hey, hey we're going to go and leave. We're going to go and play in this <laughs> tournament, you know. And God forbid if we were to uh, have lost any of those things. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, as a player, I, um, it was very important for me to win and, uh, I did whatever it took really to, to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, even playing with Sinjin at times, it was difficult because, uh, he had a lot of injuries, you know, he had a lot of little things going on with his knees, elbows, wrist. Um, and you know, those are those 86 tournaments that we lost, you know, there's a lot of downtime things that kind of didn't go in our favor, and there wasn't really anything I could do. I stepped over to the middle of the court. I'd try to take, I'd push him over like we were playing mixed, you know, in some <laughs> of these tournaments. And, the, and against Hoblin and Dodd with those lollipops, and they could, they couldn't, they they were, they couldn't get the ball to Sinjin at one time. I, but I Don't even think that we even we won that the tournament in Cleveland. But we had them all nervous. I Cinchin couldn't even play. A guy couldn't even jump. He couldn't hit. He couldn't do anything. But um, yeah, again, I um, I can go on and on. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about so many different yeah. moments and times. But uh, yeah, ultimately, it's it's uh, I think what it, what we did was a benefit. You know, I was never going to go and want to take anything away from anybody or needless to say hurt the sport. You know, um, but a lot of players in uh, the political arena uh, felt otherwise.
0: Yeah. It had to have been a really cool moment for you to uh, see it get into the games, which was 93? 90, they officially gave it the go-ahead?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was in 93. In fact, uh, you know, you know, everybody asked me always, like, you know, how did you participate? How, well, we went to a bunch of different meetings with Sinjin and I and, and talking to Ruben Acosta, which was the president of the FIVB, and Anton, Antonio Samaranch, which was the president of the IOC, he was the most powerful man in the, in the world in regards to sports because um, he oversaw everything. And uh, I was on my knees in the stadium in, in Copacabana in front of him asking him, can we get beach volleyball into the Olympic Games? And he looked at me and he said, yes, we will. And at that moment, and there's a, there's a magazine, there's a picture of me basically with that photo um, for me, probably the most important time in my life with the sport, because um, you know, it, it, especially during those times, there was a lot of sp- different sports that were trying to get into the Olympic games. And there was, it became this demonstration demonstration thing like windsurfing and all these different, you know, sports were getting in. Well, We kind of had the in on it because we were already a sport. We were just trying to create a different sport. And it came down then to 24 men's teams and 24 women's teams uh, to come and play. And so then they added that up, 48, 48, okay, 96 players. Okay, that's not so bad in regards to allowing this new sport to come in and the amount of athletes that they were letting in to play in the Olympic Games. So we were just a a different variation of the Olympic indoor game. And so that obviously we had a little bit of an in and so it kind of got pushed right through, but certainly that moment with Antonio Samaranch, I'll never forget. Thank you for him.
0: Yeah. And it, uh, man, I know that it was, it was a big thing at the Olympic qualifying had to be established after that. And I know that uh, a lot of guys voted for the trial. A lot of guys wanted the, uh, Syngin in particular, I think, wanted the FIVB route. Where yeah. were you on that? Were you more in favor of the Olympic trials, which ended up- Well, I, I
1: certainly, I, I, to, to this day, I'm in still in, in favor of trials um, because I feel like if you want to try out for your Olympic team, why don't you go and play against uh, other Americans to represent your country? It's just like me trying to get on the national team and play. Well, you're a young player. You get on there. You practice. You're a part of that team. And now you play against the rest of the world. They're not telling you how that goes. That's, the, that's how we represent. And that's how it should be represented. Now, the flip side of that is going to be, oh, well, look at what happened to Randy during the 96 you know, trials. Where I was in the final game. We were, I was playing with Adam Johnson. And we were blowing through teams. We were beating teams 15-0, 15-1. I think we beat the semifinals 15-3. We got then to talk, to play Mike Dodd and Mike Whitmarsh. And a ball came off of a banner behind me as the, as balls were flying everywhere because this was USA Volleyball's kind of first you know, trials and they just dumped out all these volleyballs and they were everywhere. So you just pick one up, serve one, pick one up, serve one. And one came off the banner as I was jump serving and I landed straight on it with my right foot and my foot tried to go in and then it went out. And basically, you know, it was a, a double whammy on the, on the twisting of the ankle. And uh, it was about a minute to go before NBC came on. And I've only watched it once because it was, uh, you know, really a a downtime in my life because um, not only did I uh, not get that opportunity, but I let down my partner and that was Adam Johnson, you know, uh, to this day, you know, I really never said, I'm sorry, but I, you know, he understood and under, you know, knew exactly what it was all about, but it was really something that got taken away from me and, you know, again, I am not an Olympian. I've never gone to the Olympic Games. You know, I, I am not an All-American, you know, indoors. I am, you know, I'm not a gold medalist. But I am in the, uh, you know, World Volleyball Hall of Fame. And uh, so they obviously saw something in me that, uh, you know, did, I didn't have the total credentials in regards to, you know, getting to that, to that level. But, um, you know, I, definitely some things went in my favor and a couple things went, didn't go in my favor. And uh, Neil said those trials were very difficult and, you know, then, and then ultimately, you know, where the players got to all together and said, okay, we're going to create these trials and yes, we, we want to do this. And uh, we could have said no, and then we could have gone like, okay, number one, number two, number three, okay, that's who's going to the Olympic Games. Um, Sinjin ended up going and playing with Carl Hinkle, and he ended up, you know, kind of writing his own way to the Olympic Games, so to speak, because he, you know, those things were basically made up as he went and he played, and and that's when he had kind of uh, the falling out with the AVP, so he wanted to go and do – uh, what was going to benefit him internationally. And so it really wasn't all that fair because he was the only team that didn't go through the trials to represent. And uh, so a lot of people don't underst- don't know that. But I think that that's probably what made the game uh, between him and Karch so meaningful uh, because it was the, the people that kind of got in there on the side door versus the, the person that earned it. Yeah. And, um, you know, as it turned out, Karch and Kent uh, ended up beating uh, St. John and Carl. Um, and I know that was a very close and an, and an important game, um, you know, to getting to the finals of that tournament. And then, needless to say, the story goes Karch Kira and Kent Steffes, a gold medal, and uh, Mike Dodd and Mike Whitmarsh, uh, silver. Um, but, um, you know, I feel like throughout my career, Even I was on the national team uh, in the early eighties and then I left it on my own because I just didn't want to be in a, in a, uh, uh, an apartment with no bed and sleeping on, on, on the ground and working out down at San Diego. Um, And then working with my family's business at the same time and doing all that. I opted to say, Hey, listen, I, I need to do something different. And then kind of timing was made perfect by um, having Sinchen, uh and Tim Hoblin being kicked off the, the national team. And again, um, I left it you know, you know, on my own accord. Those guys got kicked off because of whatever, uh, you know, with Doug Beal and whatever else that was going on. So that opened up the door for Cinchin and I to play together. And then we played our first tournament in, in uh, Santa Barbara, won the first tournament, and then, you know, went for 11 years from there on out so uh some good things happen and some bad things happen and i uh to stay have been on the uh (laughs) the winning side more than the losing
2: right but it's crazy how in a sport like ours where it's tournaments and certain tournaments are worth more than others so much of it can come down to timing and a lot of times luck Uh, i feel like i've been on the short end of the stick a few times in terms of just getting injured at the wrong time or yeah Uh, being out at the wrong time and whatnot. And then you see a lot of players who have been healthy at the right time, played well that one weekend or, uh, you know, like got in the back door or something like that. And really like if you get one really good, strong victory to your name, your resume, it can kind of make someone's career and really like put you on the map long-term and vice versa can happen. It's just so cutthroat.
1: Uh, yeah try but i think it's even it's it's tenfold for you now um and it's 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 even more important for you now it wasn't that way for us at that time we didn't have that exposure the worldwide exposure as you guys did and you know i'll to to comment on your injuries and everything else one of them obviously was uh you know self-done that kind of took you off and (laughs) a little bit of your timing but you know that's how kind of life goes and you learn from those those things i think truly uh you know try you 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 are you've got the opportunity they're they're right there you're going to be right there and we're yep. going to be all rooting for you
2: yeah i appreciate it yeah just, my my new motto is is uh the football motto it's your best ability is your availability <laughs> so just be on the court be available if i can get myself on the court the rest yeah it should be good yeah yeah,
1: and then you know, then that leads me to talk about you know the coaching and um, the opportunities. It's it's been a very interesting one. You know, I've always I've been in the sport. I've never really left it, but I I I, I still to this day you know want to take a team like yourselves and um, you know produce. Um, you know, there's a lot of. I'm not going to take anything away because I think all the coaches out there are obviously putting in their time and their lives into a sport that there's not a whole lot of juice that you get out of it. Okay. And I think as they get older and you guys get older, you'll realize that, that like, you know, we did it for the love of it, but there wasn't any really financial gain. Um, and so all of those people that are the coaching in coaching the teams today, um, you know, my hat goes out, uh, out to, but, you know, I do look at a lot of the coaches and I say to myself, they've never seen the window. They don't know what it's like. They don't know what to do at that one moment. Right. Okay. You know, um, you know, I'll kind of confess to you, Try. I, I kind of, I kind of burned you. I kind of, I kind of burned you one tournament. And, um, you know, it wasn't really that, like, I was wanting to do that, but it was the Manhattan Open, and uh, it was against it was a uh, 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 Patterson and uh, Gibb. Gibb, yeah, and uh, and I and I and I told Jake to serve that ball down the line on you, and not only did he serve the ball down the line, but he knew that that wind blew in just a little bit, and so when you received that ball. It was looking like it was going out, but you had to take it. It was just too close. Right. And then you're out at the pin. He comes up and takes your cross court away, comes around, grabs his ball over the shot, and he did it twice, and you shot that ball over the line. And, yeah. and, he, and, he, and he, after, after he scored that first point, and I think that put him up 15-14, yeah. he said, who said that? And I said, I did. Do it again. and 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 ultimately you know again try i wasn't trying to do he he served the ball perfectly in the perfect spot and if you've played a bunch of times in manhattan you'll you'll understand what i'm really talking about that little wind that comes across from outside from the beach and blows that on the on the south side it just blows it in just a little bit and um and uh, um again uh and I'm trying to go back into the coaching aspect of things. It's it's about being there and knowing what to do at the at the at the very end. Right. Um, there was only I have to say only maybe one other person that I could you know put a finger on that knew how to do that, and that's Karch Karai. Mm-hmm. Um When it's all of a sudden said and done, you know, and it came down to those couple points, um, you know, what do you do? How do you do it? And how do you you know, not steal the game, but uh, be successful. And um, a lot of times I, I, I can look at a match now and watch the player go and get into a serving area. And I can tell you if it's going to be successful or not, just from where he's standing and where he's serving. Because there's the areas, there's specific areas. And it's amazing to me when I watch a game, I go, why are they just serving the player? Why, why is the ball just going to the player, you know? Um, and that's, you know, I used to, as a player, I used to get out there and just take a bag, two bags of balls. And I used to just serve, 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 serve on the rainiest days, the coldest days. I'd get up there and jump serve. I was like kind of one of the first ones to bring the jump serve in this in the sport. And uh, it's just because I wanted to put the, obviously, the, the offensive team on defense. And try to then you know get them off the net and try to score a point. Um, I think that is really truly one of the biggest things that I think a player could really work on. So, like I say, so I, like I say, if I'm a coach, and I said to you, okay, and that's and going back to the beginning of this interview about you know the girls that I said, okay, we want you to go in in jump serve and and I I want you to jump serve and make something happen. Well, if you were to jump serve and just serve for an entire week every time you didn't do anything else how would you be right how would you be well you'd be pretty darn good (laughs) you'd be pretty darn good but when was the last time somebody went out there for an entire week and just served balls okay I don't think it's happened you know and so you know try there's a little bit of a some input for you to go and bang it. Cause I, I love how you approach the ball and how you hit the ball and everything else. And I think your partner has got to, uh, kind of put a little bit of heat. If you're, if you know, as you guys know, you're obviously more involved than I am, but the international teams, uh, not only are jump serving, you know, each and every time. I know that uh, Latvia, you know, kind of throws in a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a variation of a, a jump serve with some spin or everything else. But pretty much the bigger teams, Sol, uh, um, um,
2: um, let's see. Sorum?
1: Uh, yeah, Sorum and Mole, you know, they, they put pace on the ball. They're putting them – Avandro oh, is a, a perfect example. I I actually got to that kid when when he was playing back in in Florida, and I you know we took some time and and he was playing with uh, Solberg, um, and I and I said hey you know take go from here serve this ball this way serve this ball well the next thing you know he's basically serving Phil off the court by, you know, putting, putting pressure and serving to lines. And I personally am in the favor of serving the ball to the lines and really, but creating angles to it, you know, it's like, it's like this, you guys, it's like, and I say this to a lot of people. So, you know, you've got on the women's side, you've got the Canadian team paving, you know, she's left-handed, big girl, great volleyball player. Everybody serves her to the middle of the court. Well, they, that's to her that's to her left side. That's to her dominant hand. You don't wanna do that. You wanna go <laughs> and serve her over to this other way, okay? Because it's off she's off balance here. So know where it goes. So and it goes the same way with a right-handed player, you know. By going and serving them, you know, to the opposite, opposite side, being a left sider, now you serve the ball to the to the far corners or to the sidelines. But at angles where if you almost come out of the middle and or thereabouts and it's always a threat to go down the middle. So now all of a sudden now I'm, I'm serving this ball cross court with big heat. Well, you think that you're going to come back and be able to pass a ball out of the middle after I've come to a couple balls at the angle? There's no way. Right. There's no way there's just too much pressure. And then what happens is, is that now you've got the player thinking and that's what you want to you. That's what you want to do to your opponent is to make them think, mm-hmm. but as a player, don't ever think don't ever think, you know, you, you know, it's point game Then you're got all you got to do is receive a ball. well, He's already shown them exactly how it is, (laughs) what you're going to do. Oh, I'm going to hit the ball across the court. I'm going to beat that guy, okay? Well, it doesn't happen like that. Don't think. Just react and go. But, um, you know, again, that's from uh, 369 Opens. And, you know, I had to try to block everybody
2: out. (laughs) I need the think part, and then I need to turn it off to the dump. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll and, key, and, and,
2: key that, key and,
1: key <laughs> and, yeah. And try, you know, that's, that's, that's like, you know, playing in the subconscious, you know um, you know, and again, there's so many different little things that went on in my career, but you know, I learned through hypnosis um, a way of concentrating out on the court by essentially when I put that headband on and I tie that thing up and I'd step on I would be in that zone. I would not, I wouldn't be thinking I would, you know, there were certain things, you know, I, I ran across a gentleman that would work on me, um, you know, after the tournaments and, you know, there were some times where I'd get injured and they'd have to do some deep tissue stuff. Well, he would put me under. And at first I was like, okay, you know, he's going to make me into a donkey. You know, I'm going to go,
2: hee-haw, <laughs> <laughs> and
1: all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going, okay. And so he, he starts to go when your right hand touches your cheek, you're in the deepest of sleep. Well, that didn't work. And then all of a sudden he goes, he tries this with the left hand. And all of a sudden I'm like looking at my hand and it's coming up and it's touched. And I'm in this, I'm now in this deep kind of sleep. And, to make a long story short, in all in all of that, there were so many unbelievable things that came out of that because I would uh, basically play in a recorder. Uh, Randy Stoklos, Randy, you're the best volleyball player in the world. Randy, you're the best volleyball player in the world. Randy, you're the best volleyball player in the world. And so when I would be put under and he would work on me and I wouldn't feel anything, okay, he would play this. Click. Randy, you're the best player in the world. Now, when remember, try, you're the best volleyball player in the world, okay? And I keep on telling, and people have said that to you. And people have said it to you. And they say it and keep on saying it to you. Well, there's got to be all of a sudden a self-belief that you are.
2: right?
1: And yet that's just, that's, that's becoming the best. And that's, you know, knocking everything else out of uh, the thought but accepting. For just being as good as you can be but again a along, along with that comes a lot of hours of training making sure that you're in your your highest physical ability of your the opportunities are there and that you take advantage of them um, some of them are things that you don't want to do but a lot of times you have to do to get over that to, to the next level and to the highest level and you um, I think that there's a lot of really great volleyball players going on right now. And there's a lot of different action going on right now in regards to their styles. Um, You know, to be honest with you, I, if I was taking a team, I would have the blockers swing block, swing block. Yep. You have to swing block. Now you've got to be, because the options are, are just that and you can't just shuffle over and go straight up. You got to go. Oh, you got to go. You got to swing block, and you got to take cross court away. Okay, if the guy can hit the line, you know, let him hit the line. Okay, mm-hmm. because where does everybody want to hit the ball? Everybody wants to hit the ball cross court. But I think that that's the next level uh, of our sport. Um, I think that there's uh, some really, really good stuff. Obviously, uh, is it Grambula?
0: Grambula, yeah,
1: yeah he is, uh, you know, he's kind of changed things up with his partner and the style and everything. And, but, you know, you've got to do that and you've got to do it a lot because remember when you're off balance, things can go against you. But if you practice it enough to hone the skills that everything's accurate, well, then that's fine. But if you're just trying to do it, it's like, for example, I came up to the Australian uh, team some years ago, um uh Schumann and uh his partner and they 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 would put this ball up on they try to put the ball up on on one all the time, okay? And and you know, half of the time they were successful and half of the time they weren't. Right. And I came up to like their statisticians and I said, Okay, you know, what kind of success do you guys? Have? And he's oh, we have all the success and we have all the numbers and everything else. And I said to him, I said, Well let's forget about that when was the last time you won a tournament right okay and it literally comes down to that so you can experiment with it but if you're going to do it you got to do it full on you got to do it a lot and i do like the option the option is it just almost has to happen now um the court's obviously smaller than what we played in which enables the ball to be received at, a, at, a, at a, which seems to be a little bit easier even though the guys have gotten bigger and they're jump serving the ball harder and everything else um, it's uh, you 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 uh, I, I again it's all about putting pressure on your opponent you know and uh, I think it's kind of funny you know so for example now you're, you're playing a team that is, is putting the ball up on two and jumping, you know, while I, I watched a little bit of it with uh, Sorum and Mole and uh, they were playing. The, the Russians don't do it. Grishilnikov doesn't do it as much. In it's fact, so you know. He still I, get I, up
0: and bang on two. He doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> and for sure.
1: And well, you know, it is what it is. They're, they're, they're big guys. I got to work with Grishilnikov. I've got some video um, in Russia that I was working with him uh, for a couple of weeks there. And I've got video of it. I have never posted it. He was 16 years of age, you know, and uh, he was there and you could see that he was, you know, had some skills and he, you know, he got after it, you know. Um, he doesn't do it as much. I know Latvia has been doing it and they were kind of starting to do it. They kind of throwing those quick sets on the outside. Um, but what if you put up a sky ball, and it goes to the back middle of the line? <laughs> who's running what (laughs) there's no, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, okay. Yeah. But that guy's hitting a ball that's 10 feet off the net. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, there's, there's some, there's some things that still need to be put in a player's arsenals in regards to, you know, thinking about what they want to do now. Different game, different era, different time, but St. John Smith was very successful in doing that by breaking out the sky ball at a, at, a, at a moment that, and it wasn't anything else but something that was different. Now I think that with the teams that are running these balls on two and what have you, um, you certainly will take away the two ball if you put up a ball that's a lot higher, you know and put a little pressure on them. And, and that needs to be done at, at, at apropos times, you know, it, it's funny, you know, anybody who's played the game and, and all of a sudden receives a sky ball, it's a little bit different. The ball just doesn't go in front of you. It kind of goes up all of a sudden. Now you're hitting a deeper ball, right. you know, the court seems a little shorter and everything <laughs> else. So, um, just, just a little food for thought. But, um, again, that's again, a person that's been in the sport for, I don't know, 35 years.
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, the success rate of that they look at when teams are running these, when you execute it perfectly, the success rate is extremely high. Yeah. I think something that maybe the Australians aren't looking at is how often are you executing it perfectly and how often are you putting yourself in a worse situation? And yeah. that, that's when, when I play them, I'm like, I'd love you, for you to pass it over here, sprint way over here, Try yeah. to hit someone too, but you're falling down and you never yeah. have to get on your shoulder. Yeah. So you got to, I mean, you got to base it off of your personnel and how well you can execute Like a Hayden can shovel a ball with his platform on two, almost perfect. Probably, yeah, You know, better than almost anyone. Like Adrian can do it. But if other people try to run Adrian's system or Hayden's system, like it's, you're just taking yourself out of system and playing into the opponent's hands. Yeah. You know, uh, try the
1: the one thing that I, it's interesting is, is that, you know, the women, uh, they do it, but they don't do it in a fast way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they do it in a, okay, I'm going to hit left side, I'm going to hit right side, you know, I'm going to push the ball over here, do this, that. Um, I think it's, 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 it's really readable, because most of the time, they're, again, they're trying to hit to the fat of the court, and that's a cross court ball,
2: you I know. Say it again. You know, like the indoor slide off. One yeah.
1: Foot. Yeah.
2: yeah. Super quick, just shoot. Imagine if Pavin came over off her left foot. With her left
1: foot. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, no, that's certainly, you know, and, you know, all those things are, are, are great ideas, but you've got to have, uh, you know, some athletic people um, to be able to do those things. Um, and I think that literally a, a lot of the players that are playing the game today, are just that they're very athletic and uh you know i don't know about the pairings that we have for america right now you know uh, in regards to the best combinations that we could uh send to the olympic games to have them compete you know on the women's side i you know not taking anything away from from carrie's partner but um not the best of choices you know obviously uh alex and and uh, kleinman and uh and her partner are uh they're going to be definitely right there they they're solid they're they're really they're they're a solid team but you know you know there's there there's there's some international teams on the women's side you know that are going to be pretty strong the brazilians you know there's a there's i think there's a, a german team uh huber uh, there's, yep. there's a couple teams out there that even, uh, the team from Australia, uh, Clancy
0: and, and uh, yeah, so they're,
1: they're, they're, and, and I think even like, like Clancy, you know, I, I was, I was down there a number of times, you know, talking to the girls and motivating them and everything else. And, um, you know, I really wanted to take over that team, um, and, and, and have them, you know because uh, her athleticism, you know, and her opportunity of, you know, doing what she does. I don't know if right now that during this whole time that she's had enough exposure to high level volleyball. And, you know, you just, you can't, you can't just go all of a sudden be playing and then kind of peak like that and then not do it, you know, and think that you're going to come right back and be successful. You know, um, you got to, you got to know your competition you got to play against your competition, you know, and, uh, you got to see your competition. I used to do it, um, verbatim. I used to go and literally watch any chance I could of my opponent. I'd be hiding in a corner, watching, watching, <laughs> watching. Okay. Even warmups. What, what is that person doing in warmups? How is he hitting the ball? Well, he's going to, he's going to do the same things, you know, and you got to, uh, you know, get into that thought process of, uh, doing that to be successful because uh you know most of the things will not change they will be the same as 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 a player they're not going to all of a sudden come up with something you know totally different you know and if it and if they do it's a mistake you know usually so
0: yeah well, Randy we have uh we've kept you here for a while we appreciate so much time it's uh yeah. it's so good to talk to you again I love uh, hearing thanks, all the stories and stuff it's uh, it's great yeah. to have you on the show finally
1: thanks. Thanks for having us. Uh, and it, it very important for me is that uh, that you guys are, are uh, helping promote the sport and, you know, give us this opportunity even as old guys to, to talk about what we did and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully where the sport's going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what we're trying to do, just trying to promote the sport. So we uh, we thank you tons for for all that you did for the sport, uh, getting it into the Olympics. I know, obviously, that's huge for try uh right now who's who's in line to qualify so uh yeah
1: for sure yep yeah
0: well it was great having you on uh hope to see you soon uh, and and hope you get healthy too thank you very much and we will see you guys very soon yep (laughs) all right randy shoots